Hi there. Welcome to How Do They Get There. I'm your host, John Penn. So today on the show, my guest is Joel Stein. It's interesting with Joel in terms of like, how do you define, you know, someone like that? Because he does a lot of different things. But I think journalism is the main constant that's sort of been with him throughout his career. I mean, he started, um, I think, Time Out New York was the first experience. And he talked about that, but then also going to Time and being, you know, a journalist with them for like over 20 years, writing so many columns and cover stories and profiles. And then um, LA, you know, the LA Times really involved with them, a uh, big contributor there. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, which I won't hold against him too much. So, I mean, a lot of different publications, lots of different pieces. And he has a really unique uh, voice and, and reporting style. And you can actually see that in, um, I think you can see that in both of his books. I mean, the first one is Man Made, A Stupid Quest for Masculinity. And that, he really wrote that about um, when he was having his child and sort of wanting to be seen as a man and figuring out what what it means to be a man and what is masculinity. And we he kind of investigated some tropes by basically being in Rome and and having these experiences um, to really find out what that, you know, what the answers to those questions are. So one of those tropes, for instance, is, you know, making a lot of money, right? That's how certain people define uh, what it means to be manually or masculine. So he basically, he put out like a almost a want ad. Is someone out there that's willing to give me $100,000 for a day so that I can basically bet using it? And someone actually did that. And he wrote about that in his book. I mean, that's like one episode of several. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting to see kind of how he, it's really interesting to see how the version of, you know, what it means to be a man kind of evolved from the first episode to the last and that version of masculinity and those ideals, how they kind of change, you know? Um, so really profound. Another book that he wrote, In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You're Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book. I mean, that's a lot about obviously elitism, but populism. And he has a lot, he kind of breaks it down, that topic in such a unique way. And it's also, again, him going to these cities like, Miami, Texas, and figuring out what's going on in Miami, Texas. How are people thinking about elections, about politics, about, um, you know, the roles of society, about schools, education, healthcare? It's kind of interesting that he's he's taken all those topics and again, like very investigative, very interesting reporting style. And he's reporting on them and how people kind of perceive them and how that impacts society, which is a really broad question. But I think that leads to really profound answers, you know, too. So, um, I mean, definitely get both of those books. You can find both of those books wherever you buy your books. And then have to mention, of course, uh, his show, his podcast, Story of the Week. According to Joel, that's what we do now because we don't read. So um, you can defy that notion by getting both of his books and listening to his podcast. Man, what do we talk about uh, in our conversation? We talked about Martha Stewart, of course, came up. Talked about television experiences like uh, VH1's I Love the 80s, which he was on a lot, writing at Time and, you know, preserving his autonomy, but then also being part of Time, which is an institution. And we talked about his interesting experience, you know, being a writer for the Academy Awards, a bunch of other stuff. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do too. Happy Earth Day. Thank you.
Well, that's. Oh, you, I hope you didn't give me a chance. You just you said, do you have any questions before we start recording, and then you, you pressed said, record. Yeah, because you said life in general. I mean, I thought that was the whole purpose of what we're doing. I guess, man, this is okay. So, I'm I wasn't sure how much. I never know how much information to get. I mean, what do you do? You're you do this. I mean, you do your version of it. How do you? I'm a lot you, nicer. Is what I do. Yeah. I'm nice. Come on. We've only has had not, um has not been established yet that you're nice at all. It's only been 40 seconds. My first impression yeah. isn't the strongest uh, no. today. Yeah. Does that hurt you on dates? Oh, does it hurt me on dates? I think other things hurt me on dates, like not being able to connect <laughs> to the topics that are brought up. Um, I just went on a date at a hot pot restaurant. and oh, hot, uh, A hot pot restaurant. That's yeah. an interesting call. Was that your call for the first date? No, that was her call. She's okay. from that part of the world. And uh, yeah, it didn't really go well. We couldn't connect. I mean, I thought we were... Uh, I thought we could bond on our shared elite um nice. and like education because we both we both have graduate degrees from Duke, which I guess is an elite. Is it an elite school? I mean, I don't know. Definitely. To... No, yeah, no, that counts. But it wasn't enough to sustain, I didn't apply um... there, so it wasn't quite up to snuff for me, but for you it's great. Where did you apply outside of uh where you went? You know, I um I applied to like ten schools mm. and I I went to see the University of Virginia. Okay. Uh, I had a friend who's a year older than me in high school who went there. And hmm. somehow they got dressed up for football games and there was a lot of fraternities and it freaked me out so much yeah. that I didn't apply to any schools in the South. So that's why I didn't apply to Duke. Stanford um, I, I has a good that was wise. Stanford has a good football team, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it didn't at the time they weren't great. So it felt okay. it was a little too football y for me, but not as much as it is now. So yeah. uh, there, there will be no second date, huh? Of course not. I mean, no, I shouldn't say that. I didn't. Uh, we didn't really talk about that. We didn't talk about the logistics of it or any of those things. So I think that kind of is a red flag that there's probably not going to be. And what was she? What did? She, what was she studying? Or what was she? What she going to do? She's. Uh, she's man. I okay. She's uh, in finance. So she's. Mm -hmm. uh, she's living it up. She works at one of the, one of the banks that's still alive. Uh, she in got New York. like an MBA at Duke. Yeah, we both we oh. both did that. I mean, you have so an MBA. I have a. It's we're like really close. I um, it's called an MMS degree, and it's basically like it's the first year of an MBA, but you just don't do the like the electives at the end. That's like the big difference. But it for all intents and purposes, it is an MBA. I mean, it carries the same sort of like, I don't know if it carries the same prestige. I mean, maybe you no. can answer that. No. Yeah. So, but other That's than right. that. It does carry an ability to get a job like the one that she has, which I guess some people covet. I mean, and that's you, not what I'm doing. But... Why did you get the, what were you intending to do with that? Because I, well, I worked as an analyst. I worked in that world, oh. I guess. Yeah. I've had, uh, yeah, I've had different careers and different journeys to, to where I am today, oh. Joel. But yeah. she's not going to be part of your future journey. No, but um, yeah, I, I don't think she's actually that happy at the bank either. So I don't, I don't think that might even be part of her journey anymore. But I don't wow. think she is. But you never know. I mean, we didn't see each other for since we graduated. We just happened to bump into each other, and then I oh. we set up this date. So oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you liked her back at school, and then on the in in the hot pot scenario, not quite as good. I think in both. I don't even. I don't really know her at school that much. But okay. yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those things. But it didn't work out. But anyway, how often uh, are you going on dates? Not that often. I mean, I don't have that much time. I mean, how often did you date when you were uh, when you were out, out of grad school, working, doing the journalism thing. I was not good at dating because I was very afraid to ask anyone out on a date. And this was pre-swiping. 
to free cell phones. Why so, were you why were you afraid? I'm a very extraordinarily conflict averse. And so things that I would count as conflict, other people wouldn't. So I don't like confrontations of any kind. And I don't like asking people for things. So dating okay. was always challenging. So I was a, a serial monogamist. So I would That's good. I would rarely not have a girlfriend. So I didn't have to go on that many dates usually. So and I would had... meet them in like my dorm or my office or okay. things that are probably no longer acceptable. So you had longer, you had long-term relationships, you would say, because you didn't, you didn't want to, I guess that allowed you to avoid some conflict in the approach, but I'm, weren't there conflicts within those relationships? I mean, you couldn't avoid all of those, right? No, no. But asking for things even within a relationship was still a little tough, but yeah, there'd be some conflict. I wasn't a big fighter. There was the breakup conflict, which was Ooh, also nice. that was huge. I would I would go like many men go out with people for way long. If they didn't break up with me, I would decide to break up with them. And that would take another two months. But, mm. you know, I had this theory, which I now realize was due to my conflict avoidance, which was I would go on a lot of dates with people before sleeping with them, before kissing mm. them. Sorry. Um, but my theory was you don't have to apologize. The, di the distance. Well, it, it's going to come up okay. as part of the story. Okay. The, Distance in time, at least back then, at least for me, between kissing someone and having sex with them was like one more date. So, okay. or maybe like. no. So, <clears throat> so I would give a lot, a lot of thought as to whether I wanted, whether we should kiss. And, mm. and by, by the way, and how to kiss, like kissing seems so difficult. Like, how do you start? Yeah. That? Yeah. So, um, I went on a lot of dates with women in New York City, or not a lot, nice. a fair amount of dates with women in New York City who <clears throat> are sure that I'm gay. Because we went on like, besides the fact that I just seemed gay, we went on like you know, tons of dates yeah. and never kissed. Yeah. But that speaks to something about what they expect from men, don't you think? I mean, I, I it seems like maybe those are that's based on the men that they've gone out with previously that are, you know, I, I guess only after, as they say, one thing. Do you think that's the case? No, no, we should have kissed. And the, yeah. the thing was, I was thinking, if I kiss them, we're going to have sex. And yeah. then when, I have, when we have sex, we're going out. And then once mm -hmm. we're going out, even if I figure out they're not the right person, that's an extra two months just to break up with them. So I'm okay. in for like three, four months as soon as I kiss them. So you intentionally put yourself in the friend zone to, because of that. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I'm I wasn't glad... even friend zone. It wasn't even clear because we weren't hanging right. out that much. So it was put... more. It was the gay zone. I was in the gay. Zone. Yeah, you were. That's Positive okay. Gay guy zone. Okay. Yeah. Well, it is. I'm glad that we established that. We established right. my tone, which was displeasing from the start, That's but right. I think I think we're warming up, right? I think it's getting I, a little bit more jovial. I, I think I'm making up for okay. your friendliness. Maybe you're my, facilitating my vulnerability this. and openness. Yeah, it's compensatory, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm glad to talk to you because I feel like we're living in such an uneventful time, right? Yeah. I mean, with the That's banking right. collapse, mm -hmm. that Tennessee thing, which is terrible, that happened. Yeah, uh, ramifications from. Pick your year, 2016, 2021. Uh, and then I guess we have all those holidays that just happened. Birthdays that. coming up. You don't like my those? My dad's birthday. Yeah. That's an important thing. When is that's coming up or that already I happened? My dad is older than the earth. He's like, he's I think that's same, possible. He has the same birthday. His birthday is Earth Day, but I think he was established first before. Earth it day. depends how old you think the earth is. Maybe you only think it's 70 years old or whatever. Yeah, no, he's old older is. than that. Yeah. Yeah. Man. All right. Well, how do you feel? Did you anticipate these things were going to happen in 2023? I mean, you have a good understanding of things, macroeconomic theory, pol politics, journalism. Yeah. Uh, did you, could you anticipate what was to come in 2023? 
You know, one of the smartest things I have done is I figured out before 2016, actually, that when I would be on, like, I used to go on news shows or yeah. now I go on podcasts, and people ask me what's going to happen. Yeah. I almost always say that I don't know. I, I can't predict mm -hmm. things. I have no idea. I, yeah. At best, as a journalist, I can kind of, and you know what else I've stopped doing, which is that the mm. next step after predicting is okay. write a, if I write a piece or even especially a book. Yeah. Like I wrote this book, In Defense of Elitism. Yeah. And then everyone wants the, the end to be action items. Like, well, you've identified the problem. What should we do? Okay. And I'm, sh I'm definitely shying away from that now. I think that's for policy people. Yeah. My job as a journalist at best is to help us craft the right questions to ask and, and to, and maybe start to explore people's perspective on those questions. But I'm, I'm definitely okay. not good at predictions. And I'm not yeah. good at solutions. I'm not very so, useful. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say that. I think you're selling yourself short. And I, I think that, uh, you know, do you think that it's based on prior experiences of you predicting things, of you getting cajoled? Is the word that I'm going to yeah. use into doing that for those different circuits, and they end up not being right. And do you feel like that's why, yeah. or do you feel like it's just not your place in terms of what you do and why you're here? Both, and I've also okay. it used to be <clears throat> I used to go on these like CNN or MSNBC shows to oh, talk nice. about some article I wrote, yeah, or whatever, and um, and then you'd be scheduled to go on, and that yeah. morning. They'd say, oh, I'm so sorry. The producer would call and say, you know, there's this huge story. These these guys <laughs> were thrown out of the state legislature. So yeah. can you please, you know, you're already in the green room. Yeah. You're on your way. Like, yeah. So can you please talk about that instead? <laughs> okay. So you didn't get bumped. They just said, you, no. oh, you got to talk about this. No. Maybe that is that worse? I mean, it's better for your ego and you still yeah. get to like mention the article and promote yeah, that. That's true. But it's worse in that. I mean, I remember going to the Bill Maher show and they just mm -hmm. give you topics to talk about. And, they, and once it was the telecommunications bill. Oh, so yeah. I was on television talking about the telecommunications bill. Yeah. Yeah. Which, what, why? And the other people, there was like a Democrat and a Republican and they had mm -hmm. their talking points from the yeah. party. And I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like I shouldn't, no one should be watching television to see me talk <laughs> about the telecommunications bill. Okay. So that kind of influenced that was me. that was I it. Hated it i like bill maher he seems like a is he a nice guy he looks like a pretty good dude right i don't know yeah you know i first met him because he there's a short period of time when i was at time magazine when people would just pop into my office sometimes okay. their publicists would call like a day before and sometimes they would just show up in the lobby yeah he just showed up in my office once okay and so That's then i bad. met him and then i did a show a, a couple times and yeah uh, so I, I never really hung out with him. <clears throat> Sorry. About wow, this. that was an interesting. I'm not going to cut that out. All right, keep going. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, he seemed, yeah, he seems like an interesting guy for sure. He's smart. He is smart. I think he went to the, is, he, is Cornell considered an elite school? And by your standards, I'm just curious. You know, it's interesting because the, the Simpsons are always making jokes about Cornell, which I oh, love. It's like okay. their obsession. It's like, yes, it's an Ivy League school, but also, by the way, only Ivy League school I didn't apply to. Is it okay? Yeah. So, so that was it was too cold. It's just too cold. But that's because they're all from they're all like Harvard Lampoon guys, right? So that's exactly. their little fun at exactly. Cornell, <laughs> the other yeah. Ivy. Oh, nice. I guess Stanford isn't an Ivy though. Is that does not. that 
does that cause any resentment um, or anything like that in terms of how you feel? I think people at Stanford really enjoy when, that people, it's not. when people ask if you went to an Ivy League school, we just get to say no and leave it there. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. fun for us. Yeah. MIT too. Uh, and some yeah. other schools. Okay, so it's then a, it's a sports league. It's a basketball yeah, and football. League, I think right? so. It's a yeah. shitty sports league, but that's. I mean, oh, oh, tell that to well, Princeton no. that made it to what the third Sweet, round. I think Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, yeah that happens. That. Yeah, too bad they couldn't best whatever Florida Atlantic or whatever school. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that that is that's another good school. That's a good Ivy Ivy League school. Wait, okay. which one? The Princeton. Yeah. Which we just I yeah. I I didn't get in. Yeah. Oh, you didn't get in? Come no. on. And then. I live. I grew up in New Jersey, not far from there. I really wanted to go to Princeton, and I didn't get in, which is fine. I I didn't deserve it. And then, um, when I was at Time Magazine, there was there is this not professorship. You get to teach this mm -hmm. class, yeah, this John McPhee class, because he only teaches it once every two years. It's a journalism class, and they have they do it twice per semester. So three mm -hmm. other. So sorry, I just ate something before this, and apparently mm -hmm. it was pure phlegm. And so, um, you ate pure flesh. Okay, I, I see what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, that's what okay. I want. Okay, okay. And then, um, they, so they asked me to teach this class, and I applied. And they said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, this we had to, had to get, bring in these other two people this semester. Just apply again next semester, and we'll let you do it." Mm, okay. Okay. So I applied, and 9/11 happened, and they were like, "Oh, oh we, we can't do a humor class now. So apply again next semester." Yeah. And I was like, "These bastards just like rejecting me." This I know. is Princeton's thing. Yeah. But then they, they actually did let me teach the course and it was it was glorious. It was just yeah. so great being on that campus. Yeah, it was it was a lifelong dream. It was fun. I thought Giuliani established that we could be funny after that on SNL with Lauren, right? But maybe I don't know. I think you my, my column got canceled after 9-11 for like a full you serious more than a year. Why? <clears throat> People don't talk about that enough as the tragedy of 9-11. Yeah. My column that is got canceled. A and then like six months in, I got Entertainment Weekly to run it on their back page. So I was there getting, you go. Like, getting, you figured it out. Both. Yeah. Um, you I figured it out, but, but the yeah. nation suffered without me for six months. Oh, yeah. no, they did. But I think you were better off maybe going to Stanford. I mean, who wants to stay? You, want to, you don't want to stay in New Jersey forever, right? You got to go to California mm -hmm. sometime. Some yeah, point. <clears throat> it changed my life. Like, I wouldn't be in California now if I hadn't gone to Stanford. Really? You, so, yeah. you, do you love California, LA, where you are? Living. I love so many places in the world, um, but this is definitely one of them. I do like where, it here. Where in New Jersey did you grow up? Uh, Edison. Do you know your Jersey? I know that there's a lot of uh, there are Indians there. Yeah. Yeah. That whole immigration wave happened as I lived there. So I got to watch. Mm. Um, I got to watch a true immigration wave, which is a fascinating thing to watch happen slowly. And then yeah. I, I wrote this column that mm -hmm. was super racist or at least perceived as super racist that um the Indian wait which one was it do you think it's a perception issue or it was actual a different issue which is probably worse right it's a good question i would okay. say i didn't write it I, I don't think my intentions were racist if that okay mattered. well that's that's what really matters yeah i think that's what matters i don't know i don't know it's interesting because my editor was is was half indian or he's half indian okay. and then Got three of the editors who read through it were Indian, so none of us. Oh wow! Thought, none of us yeah. thought it was racist. I think you're. I think you're okay. You can't control how people perceive the things that you do all the time, right? All right. So yeah, you're right. but I think I think they had the disadvantage of knowing me and knowing what I wanted to say, 
okay. instead of looking at it more objectively. So I think oh. it was one of those, t there's been a couple of articles I've written where I didn't, so many articles I've written where I didn't understand the temperature out mm. there and, and miscalculated. Okay. And this was one of them. And I had yeah. gone, I'd spent time with Joe Biden in mm -hmm. 2008 as he was, believe it or not, running for president again. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember I was with him in Iowa. I was only with him for like two days. I was with him in Iowa at this tiny coffee shop. And it was a bunch of like old white Democratic ladies. Yeah. And they started asking him about what he was going to do about the Mexicans. Right? Oh, oh, no. And Joe Biden is looking at them like, I yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. Literally can't figure out we're in Iowa. Yeah. A bunch of Democrats. What? Are you, why are you talking about Mexicans? And and so I was fast fascinated by that. I was like, oh, in my own life, I watched a bunch of white people. <laughs> yeah, get really angry at Indians. I mean, but I maybe did. I maybe in real time. But maybe they're not or Mexicans, right? But maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Um, I was a swing swing state, right? So maybe they're not super democratic. And they're, maybe they're maybe now they're conservatives. I mean, have you checked back to see who they voted for in sixteen well, and twenty? Those particular ladies are most certainly dead by now. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, that's a great question. A, I, yeah, that's a really smart question. Um, well, let's yeah, let's yeah. let's go to okay. So you write this column, and it ends up being perceived as racist. And then what do yes. you do? Do you think about that? Are you morose about that? I mean, uh, what's your next step exactly? I'd say there's two emotional responses to that. Okay. One is the the very few amount of times this is pre like cancel culture, but mm. experiencing that kind of pressure from society, it feels like exile, and you, oh. your human response, most people's response to that is just to get back inside the walls of the town. Mm -hmm. So you will say and do almost anything to make that pain go away, to make your personal pain go away, whether you believe what you're saying or not. So, so my instinct and desire is to make it go away. Everyone in the PR business and who is smart gives you the opposite advice of what Donald Trump successfully does, um, mm. which is to disappear. Don't talk oh, about it. Go away. Yeah, that's true. Let, yeah. Let the fire burn itself out. Mm -hmm. without adding to it. Right. So uh, those are kind of two opposite. There's a brain and a heart response there that are kind of the opposite. And um, in that case, I did issue like a one sentence oh, apology. No. Okay. no, it was kind of advised by people, uh -huh. which it didn't help. It didn't really make it worse, but it didn't. People just mocked it. Um, oh, okay. But I, uh, I felt very, I felt very, very bad. And then I got like, you know, because I grew up with a bunch of Indian people. Mm -hmm. I got like an email from, you know, a guy I wasn't like really good friends with in high school. But um, no, like one for a guy I was pretty good friends with in high school, another one. Well, the email from someone I wasn't that close with in high school yeah. who was just kind of sad and perplexed by why I would do this. And that was, that was heartbreaking. And then a guy I was good friends with, Indian guy, I know from another friend was really upset at me. Um, Man, and, you're getting, getting hit by all, all angles, right? And these slimy, this one I didn't feel bad about, but these slimy um, New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez went mm. on the uh, floor of the Senate and denounced me. Oh, that's okay. Which, that's good. Isn't that good press? Well, Isn't... I'm friends with the other New Jersey senator oh. I went to college with. So oh. um, so I feel like I, I, you know, half of my senatorial staff I'm okay with. Or, you know, senators I'm okay with. I like, uh, I like Cory Booker who went to, who was mayor of Newark. That's what I'm saying. 
Yeah, he's a good. He seems he's like my, a good dude. He's a he's a he is one of the best dudes I've ever met in my entire life. Really? Honestly, yeah, he's one of the few people who I would follow into the dark and just would be <laughs> thrilled yeah. to have. Just the way he thinks about people and the way he's devoted his life, I find uh, incredibly emotional. And yeah. most of the time, when you meet politicians, I will say. Uh, they are public servants and they're devoting mm-hmm. their life to something. And mm-hmm. even if you disagree with them, I'm usually pretty impressed, but he, you know, almost the only other person I think I would do that with was Jerry Brown. Those are the two. Oh yeah. And they're very different. You'd much rather yeah. hang out with Cory Booker, but, um, but well, that's both the, people, I think. that's yeah. the question that you talk about in, you know, in your book in defense of elitism. I mean, it's that, um, that thing of like, do you want to vote? Do you, are you going to vote for someone that you want to have a beer with? Yeah. Or are you going to vote for someone that's like super like stingy, someone that's not that likable, but mm-hmm. is going to enact policies that are probably going to benefit you? Like, I think you talked about uh, James Buchanan, the bachelor president yeah. and all the issues that he kind of came up with. So what do you do you still think that applies? Uh, super today? fun dude, right? Yeah. James Buchanan. Like, Maybe I think not. Yeah. Bought a barrel of whiskey personally oh, yeah. that he yeah. would wheel into the White House and it's just pretty throw good. parties. Yeah. Everyone likes that guy, James Buchanan. Um, yeah, I'm sure he had great parties thrown, but not considered one of the one of the finest uh, exemplars of what it means to be president, right? I think even after Trump, it, it's there's mm. wide agreement that he was the worst president ever. Basically, ushered forth the Civil War. Man, that says yeah. a lot. So yeah. you still feel like that's gonna is that gonna drive decisions next year? Like, who do I want to get a? Because I, I, I don't want to get a beer with any of those guys. So what am I gonna? What should I look for? As a is an informed, uh, educated, arguably elite, depending on who you ask, voter. This is probably the only elect. Assuming that it was this is stupid, who knows who's running? But if it were <laughs> we the last election, Trump versus yep. Biden mm-hmm. was the first election where I'd met both candidates, and mm. I would say I'd be psyched to have a beer with either one of those guys. Okay, yeah, that's that's good. So I don't uh, think that's a good way to choose presidents at all. I don't think so. I actually met uh, Biden was speaking at he was I think he was trying to broaden his Pacific Islander base. And I somehow ended up at not Pacific Islander, but uh, one of his bases. And I ended up at a a, some restaurant and I watched him uh, speak and he seemed pretty like a pretty decent guy. Uh, I mean, I don't don't know if I felt like getting a beer with him afterwards, but he seemed like Mm -hmm. an all right dude. He seemed like a pretty good policies and experience. But all right, let's get away from this political political. What Pacific Islander? What Pacific Islander? I'm not Pacific what? Islander. My, okay. my, but I, uh, like my mom is a super staunched, staunched, staunch, uh, Democrat. And she figured out that he was going to be coming. So we decided to go. This is in, um, Vegas, actually, in Nevada, where she lives. So, yeah. Your mom lives in Vegas? <laughs> That's right. Where? Why, Ma- do, you, I love why Vegas. do you say that so surprising? Okay. Love Vegas. Uh, where? Vegas is awesome. Summerland? Summerland. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Do yeah. you like going there? I love going there. Yeah, dude, it's great. Uh, yeah, I'm not that crazy about like doing stuff on the strip, no. but I actually like strangely the suburbs of Vegas. It feels kind of like elevated, really nice. Wait, so how was your how's your Edison upbringing? I mean, you were you so you were there around the time of the Indian invasion. Those two happened around the same time. So how was how was that experience just growing up there? What was it like growing up in Edison? Um, good food, hmm. I guess. I don't know if you like Indian food. I do like Indian food. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. We didn't okay. have that much Indian food. Again, this was like mm. a slow roll. Okay. Like at okay. first okay. it was just um and it's a oddly diverse town. So there was a lot mm-hmm. of Taiwanese. Oh, a, nice. A decent sized black population, mm-hmm. big Irish, big Italian, big Jewish. Um yeah. actually pretty, pretty yeah. So um food wise, the Indian food came a little later because at first it was really just a bunch of Indian doctors. Okay. Came that sounds down. right. That's what my mom does, but she's not Indian, but that's what she does. Oh. Um, and so they weren't opening restaurants. It wasn't until yeah. they brought over their cousins that we got the restaurants. Um mm-hmm. the food in general in Edison was, you know, I don't know. There was okay. I like my Chinese place. There was a pizza place. There was so a, not great, not very eventful food. Yeah. Okay. A lot of diners. Yeah. That's good. There's tons of yeah. diners in New Jersey. Uh deli. Were there delis? We have one deli mm-hmm. um that's gone now. And uh it was pretty good. So you're growing up, uh, and you have siblings, or I have no? a sister who's eight years younger than me. Oh wow! Did you get along well? We do get along well. Did yeah. we get along well when I was a kid? Yeah, it was. You know, it was such a big age difference that it was mm-hmm. I babysat her a lot, so it was a little parental. In some okay, I see point. what you're saying. Did you? What were you? What were like? What were the films that you were watching, man? Like what? What were the? What was the? Oh, music you're a big you film guy. That's right. Yeah, this is man. Your thing. Yeah, that's right. So what were you um, into? You know, I had a friend in junior high and high school named Mike Gorker, mm. who um, we would, and my friend Art Chung, the mm-hmm. three of us, not always together, but some combination, yeah, would go to Blockbuster, and we were really into, like, renting the movies we thought we were supposed to see. So, oh, okay. So we watched a lot of, like, not just Casablanca and The Godfather, but, like, mm-hmm. Eraserhead and Harold and oh, Maude nice. and like yeah. um you know there's that moment in high school you, you do it with music you do it with yeah. books and art where you're just like how big is the world what is out oh, there oh yeah yeah and and so that was exciting watching all of those movies me and my friend Art he st- he lived with us one summer cuz yeah. um his mom had moved and so he stayed mm-hmm. at our house and I had a ba- furnished basement he and my girlfriend and him would just watch all those movies we thought we were supposed to watch. It was fun. You watched movies that you thought you were supposed to watch? I mean, why Why is that? Were you trying to placate someone or your idea of what? I've always been super aspirational. So the idea yeah. was like, partly like, what is out there in the world? Just pure curiosity. Okay. And part of like, what is an educated person supposed to know? Like, what, mm. what, is, what are the people that I want to be like, watch and do and okay i like that that's good i wish more people were like that actually i like that aspirational you, know, you wind up watching like a zed in two knots or like exactly um, yeah yeah you're just like i don't know what's out there i cooked the thief is white for lover like what what is the world yeah. yeah that's like i feel like that's why i got into like fincher and soderbergh and all those guys but that's interesting all right so you're growing up are you interested in uh like journalism right away do you know that that's what you want to devote no. your pursuits to what was the first like what, what did you want to do exactly so I was interested in journalism for the, all the wrong reasons. I mm. wanted to write, and the yeah. people I admired were like funny writers. Okay. And you know, if in my high school instead of a high school newspaper there was a high school sitcom, I would have written for the high school sitcom. Yeah. Or a poet. If I grew up in like I don't know the 17th century, and it was like yeah. po- it was poetry, I would have done that. It okay. was just the way to get readers was to write for your high school newspaper. Yeah. Um, so I did that in high school and I did it in college. And then, um, you know, I graduated college. from college and I wanted yeah. to know whether I should try and be a sitcom writer. I think I wrote like a, I know I wrote a spec friends. Oh, really? Um, yeah. What else did I write? And then 
Seinfeld, maybe? I never wrote a spec Seinfeld. Okay. Maybe I just wrote spec right. friends. And then I was up for a job. I worked at Time Out New York. That was my first writing break. I'd spent two years fact checking, mm -hmm. a year of that working directly or part of that working for directly for Martha Stewart. And then we can't skip then, over that. All Martha right, we'll Stewart. Back. We'll go back. I like Martha um, Stewart. She's the she's cool. But we'll go back to that. But basically, yeah, I, there was a moment right after Time at New York when I yeah. was interviewing for a job at Time Magazine. I was interviewing for a job at Letterman, which oh. was who was one of my yeah I love three, Letterman. three heroes growing up. Yeah. Like, um, and so actually didn't get the Letterman job. What was that and job exactly? Writing, writer job, writing job for Letterman. like monologue and all that stuff, or just in general, like general writing. Probably, I bet you would probably figure it out at some point. I mean, whatever they need. You no, know, right? I'm trying to remember that most places, the monologue job, like Leno, I know, and Kimmel, the monologue yeah. job is a different job. That's true. Writer. Yeah, you're right. And the interview questions job is a different job. So my job would have mm. been the, um, the sketches, basically. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, that was those are the main writer jobs at those places. Yeah. Um and and then they would do the top ten list, you know, all that stuff. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. um so yeah, so I was so I just wanted to write. I didn't want to report. And what I learned later when I was finally in a writer's room is all the other than my family, the yeah. other the great experiences in my life were all from reporting. Even though mm. I don't like to I didn't think I like to go do it because it's there's some conflict involved. But like all the yeah. things I've gotten to learn and see and all the people I've gotten to meet were from reporting. And it's it yeah. really enriched my life in a way that I, I would have had no idea about um, before I did it. You write like, I mean, your books, I guess they're both nonfiction or the ones that I've read. They're both nonfiction. I mean, it seems like your style is very, it kind of almost reminds me of that Hunter Thompson like Gonzo going in, you know, like going in with the Hell's Angels and try to figure out like what's up by kind of being I one am of them. Nothing like that. I dude. no, no, no I've met that dude. Yeah, you've met him? No, really? Yeah, a couple times. And he was. I was oh. supposed to. I went to Burning Man in two thousand. Yeah, two thousand, I think. Oh wow! And I, I brought Oof. my edit. I had been there once before, and I brought Walter Isaacson, who was the editor of Time, mm -hmm. and this other guy, Josh Quitner, who was editor of Time. And Walter had just become friends with Hunter, mm -hmm. and. He's like, Hunter wants to come with us to Burning Man. Wow. You'd be in charge of organizing it. I was like, ah, okay, that seems scary. Because yeah. he scared the crap out of me when I met them. He's one of the scariest people oh, really? mm. and, um, and he had just shot his girlfriend by accident. Oh, and like, shit. He's just, he seemed off the rails. And so yeah. I called him and, and he said, can I bring my guns? <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, you know, it's um, actually a really tightly packed yeah, space. True, like you, there's just nowhere to shoot. Probably, he's like, I thought this place was about freedom. Like, why can't I bring my guns? <laughs> I was like, I don't know if there are rules or laws. I'm just saying, like, it won't be of any. You won't be yeah, able to use consequence. To you. Yeah, and he's like, I'm bringing my guns. Like, this is the whole point. And, and he just started yelling, and I was like, Oh, oh man! Like half awesome of me is guy. like, I hope Hunter S. Thompson does not show up in our <laughs> RV. And then half of me was like, Of course, this will be the best story ever. But yeah. he did not show up, thank God. Oh, no. Come on. Or, oh, that no. Awesome, oh, no. Man. Maybe that's the right response. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're saying, oh, no, because it you, it saved you. Uh, you never know what would happen. I, I mean, if he brought dead. his... It's not, let's not go through that possibility. Uh, yeah. Lots of things could have happened, right? All right. So that didn't... Um, the Hunter Thompson was... But, but my point was, like, even if you're saying you're not, like, not him necessarily or, or whatever it is, you're still going into the Boy Scouts. 
and figuring out what that what's up with that or you're still like hanging out with firemen to figure out you know what like what makes you masculine and all of that so don't you think yeah. that's kind of like that like you're being one you're being in rome basically don't you think yeah so we called it i organized this thing we only met like once or twice called the stunt journalist society in new york mm. and yeah well i i find that i'm able to learn things and thereby explain things better if i do them yeah. so even if it doesn't wind up in the story like if i'm interviewing i remember i interviewed the ceo of chipotle oh wow and i was just you know writing about his business and what he was planning mm -hmm. and it was all interesting and i was like i think i need to go work at chipotle just to understand what this thing yeah. is so i spent the half day at, like a chipotle working there and it nice. totally changed what i thought and really I, yeah i do feel like i need to do things to to report them yeah well i guess that's good i mean it feels like that contributes to the authenticity too but let's talk about all right so you're in you did this in college um you're getting really interested in writing and journalism and you're starting to work time out that happens. So then I guess so Martha Stewart happens right after that, would you say? Before time out, yeah. Right out of college. Right, right out of college, yeah. And how was that experience? I mean, did you like it? Did you like Martha? She seems pretty cool. I think I mentioned that. Um, did I like Martha? That's an interesting question. Um Did you interact a lot with her? For the first two months, I was the writer for her television show. So I interviewed oh, wow. her. I did a lot with her. Nice. She's I think she has two modes. Mm -hmm. One takes effort and it's her being charming yeah she's really charming and really pretty and really smart sure. and it's very effective mm -hmm. um but then most of the time when she doesn't have to put forth that effort yeah she might literally be a solipsist and it, it oh, makes no. things really weird to be around i bet sure. yeah did you uh did you take that with you in terms of your impression of her i mean do you still do you still are you still in touch or no no, I mean, I, oh, okay. every so often, I mean, it's been 10 years, but I used to run into her at parties every so often. And I, every time I'd be like, I'm Joel, I used to write for you. And she's like, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to block that, she's, block she's out that experience. intimidating, yeah. She does look actually really intimidating. Like she's super uh, alpha, alpha female. And then female. she's hanging out with Snoop, who I don't think is a good person either. I, I just him. I just saw her in an ad, yeah, with Snoop. And I was kind of surprised, like but uh, yeah, it's a little weird. They have like it's a TV a, show together. Do they? It's her new, uh, it's her part of her evolution, Joel. I mean, you should, uh, you know, be aware of that. I'm happy for everybody. So then after that, what was, uh, where do you feel like you really settled? Was it time? Was it um, the LA? I mean, how do you, where do you feel like you um, solidified your, not opinions, but just your, you know, your, um, your nature to report the way you do? I mean, was that, was that a time or somewhere else? I guess I figured out that kind of style in college. I wrote a, mm. a, a weekly column in college that's very yeah. similar to what i do now okay so so i i got oddly i got like a lot of my ten thousand hours in before i graduated college what was the column about me i mean yeah just, speaking of solipsism it was literally just uh you know i would just go do stuff yeah so it's like kind of the theme that's dragged on all along wait so then uh, when do you my uh... third column for college i went the one that like got me i was more famous in college than i even close to ever be again. And my third column is what did it. And it was, mm. I went to a sperm bank. And okay. this was like before the Seinfeld masturbation episodes. Like, oh, yeah. It's hard to know, but back then, no one admitted to masturbating. It sounds oh, crazy. Yeah. But yeah. other than Dr. Ruth, like nobody was yeah. talking about masturbating. So, yeah, I wound up not actually donating to the sperm bank, but I wrote about the whole experience. And, uh, and that got me a lot of attention. Why don't you donate? You could have helped out some, uh, you know, some people, right? You know, 
I just got freaked out about the long term yeah. repercussions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like having, yeah, there's a lot. I'm really, I'm really conservative about life decisions, and so, mm. um, and that that you know that just didn't it didn't jive with that. Right, that and like dating. I guess asking girls out are two things that we've avoided, right? Um, yeah, different reasons. One's out of yeah. fear. Well, they're both out of fear. One's um, one's out of fear of conflict, and one's out of fear of repercussion. But like, I you know. I think like a lot of people who wanted to go to a really good college, you're just so protective of your future that you're maybe, you know, Jay Alford proof rocking it throughout your oh, life. Oh yeah. Well, that's like, uh, cause it, in that man-made book, you talk about, uh, Sean Green, right? Who's your, oh, who's awesome. your buddy? Yeah. Baseball player. And it seems like he had a life that was very like focused on baseball, like on like getting this career and having this happen. But then when you were thinking about that, and you were kind of asking yourself what it really means to be a man. I mean, did you, is that the philosophy that you've kind of approached, you know, being a parent with, like with your kid? I mean, have you been, um, you know, have you had this Sean Green's dad mentality or have you kind of taken different elements of, I don't know, parenting in general and just like morphed your own like unique Joel version? You know, I had really, really good parents. And yeah. so, um, parenting wasn't came a little more naturally to me than I think to other people. And so Sean Green had a dad who just like Tiger Woods him, who just like yeah. got him to become a professional baseball player. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they had a, they had a great relationship mm -hmm. whereas it became very clear to me early on that I wrote this whole book, man made, yeah. which apparently you've yeah. read. So, Thank I've you read so it. much. That was very kind of you. No, I like um, it. Um, and the idea was, oh crap, I'm about to have a boy and I don't know mm -hmm. how to be a man. And he's gonna want to do all these man stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I won't know how to do it. And I better go learn. So I like bought a UFC fighter. I did three days of oh, basic yeah. training and, and fired a tank. Like mm -hmm. I did I'd sleep over at the Boy Scout because I'd never gone camping. Yeah. Like I did I did you almost saved you almost saved Jason Bateman from his house that was on fire or something, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. apparently he uh, it was a maybe a false. Didn't know how to open his flu or something, but the oh but yeah, he, he called I'm the one for advice. Yeah, there you um, go. You, he's yeah. he's the best person. Yeah, uh, he truly is. Uh, mm -hmm. It was so weird because I know like two celebrities, and and we're at the firehouse, and I hear the guys go, "There's a like a." An actor like a uh, Justin Bateman <laughs> that's got a fire we gotta go to, and yeah. uh, I was like Jason Bateman, and then yeah. we uh, we roll over there and then we turn around halfway there because uh, apparently when the fire department showed up. He was like, I don't have a fire, so yeah, I did all that stuff thinking yeah. my son, I need to keep up my son. That way, I didn't the the math I didn't do because I wasn't a geneticist mm. was that my son would be a big wimp like me and I wouldn't need to do any oh. of that stuff. Okay. So a lot of parenting is reactive like there's not mm -hmm. that much there's some proactive stuff like you have to teach your kid habits like yeah it, you learn a lot about human behavior in that all of us who brush our teeth had parents that like worked really hard on them sure if you brush yeah. your teeth first thing in the morning and before you go to bed your parents worked on that because it yeah. takes like a hundred times to tell your kids to do that before they do it on their own and yeah. so you can establish habits and those habits can be very important. Yeah. And, and you can kind of mold some marshmallow test, marshmallow test type of behaviors and long-term thinking 
But for the most part, they just come out with the brains that they have instantly. Mm -hmm. And there's yeah. not much you can do about it. And all you can do is kind of like get into what they're into, which can be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, but not your thing. Is that scary? Knowing that they're their own people and they're not you necessarily? No. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, mm -hmm. Why would that be scary? I don't know. Because, you know, you can't. It's like you can have a functional family, quote unquote, but then the kid goes out and does like weird things that aren't great. And it's like, wow, like this is a different person that I don't even recognize. I mean, don't you think that would be like scary for a parent? I mean, I'm not a parent, but I assume that it would be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's a little more randomness than in picking mm -hmm. your spouse, but I mean, yeah, your spouse can go do that stuff too. I know? guess that's true. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can have a perfectly normal marriage and then suddenly, you know, your spouse is on meth and like, you know, Oh yeah. who knows? Uh, well, hopefully that's not happening. Losing but... the nest egg. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, I mean, I, you know, I have a M plus one experience. So, um, I didn't. I don't have a kid who's, I feel like he's got challenges that I don't have. And that's hmm. been, that's been interesting to navigate. He's dyslexic. He had a nut allergy. Like, oh wow, you know, he has much more anxiety mm -hmm. than I have. So, so all of that is a little scary, but you yeah. know, it's also like interesting and empathetic. Yeah. And it's the main thing is it's made me much more empathetic to other people. Like, oh really? Yeah, because I used to think when people did stuff that they were just doing it because they were either screwing with me or lazy. Mm -hmm. It was like, why would you do that? Yeah. And now I've seen someone else's brain and I'm like, oh, you're not choosing that. That's just how your brain does it. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm more empathetic to myself. Like I, I've learned through my son because at some young age, his spatial relations were better than mine, oh. which didn't make any sense to me because he was like five. Yeah. And I... And I was like, what, why are you able to put this together? Like, why can you see this? And why? Right. And I was like, oh, I have very bad spatial relations. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so when I can't find something, I need people's help. Yeah. I'm not just being lazy. Like, I just suck at this. And I, and so it's, okay. it's that empathy. Yeah. I feel like psychiatry has given me that type of empathy. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But I'm not a parent. So I guess that's no, different. no, but you've studied how different people's brains are and how different how they react to things. And like, oh, that yeah. must make you much more empathetic. Like, do you get yeah. mad at, tra at people? Do you honk at other cars? Well, I live in New York, so that's not really an issue. But if, like, if I've I, if I could, there. if I was, no, there's honking, but yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not, I mean, I don't really honk much on the subway or in a, mm -hmm. I don't even take cabs. I just take the subway. But no, way, I don't. Not a bad call. Put a honk yeah. app on your phone and when people are like not getting out of your way on the subway yeah that's like, a great recipe to maybe get shot which i don't really <laughs> want to happen but no i do feel like if i like i went back to nevada recently uh fairly recently and there was definitely a lot of traffic for some reason which there usually isn't and i wasn't getting agitated yeah. which i think is a good thing uh maybe i become more patient empathetic i mean i feel like yeah you interact with enough, enough people that have certain pathologies you do get more empathetic to like the mundane uh, yeah. new what is the word not nuance nuisance nuisances that you yeah. experience so that's good all right do you feel like you evolved how do you feel like you evolved from the first book to in defense of elitism in terms of as a writer as a as someone that's experienced life becoming a parent which was something new at the time of your first book how do you feel like that i mean the topics are definitely 
different, fine. But how do you feel like your writing process evolved or did it? So one thing I learned mostly from partly writing the first book, but more from writing scripts. So I do some mm -hmm. sitcom writing. Yeah. I got yeah. paid to turn my first book into a movie that never got made. Which I wrote mm. with a friend of mine, Rodney Rothman, who's, mm -hmm. a, who's incredibly successful and smart and taught yeah. me a lot. And um, he wrote that he did that Spider-Verse movie that everyone loved. Oh, um, yeah. And a bunch of other stuff. But he, um, the longer something is, the more structure it requires. Um, okay. By which I mean, if I write a one-page essay mm -hmm. and I'm funny and I make some interesting observations, mm -hmm. the structure's not that relevant. I can keep your attention for a page by right. doing tricks. Okay. Once things get longer, your brain starts to get bored if the story isn't progressing and and leading somewhere. Mm. So length really requires structure. And a yeah. book is long. And my first book is highly episodic. There's, yeah. you know, which is- By chapter, know, yeah. People will always cite the Odyssey as being like, people like that book's been around a long time. I don't know why people are talking like that, but that book's been around a long time and it's episodic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you need kind of a story that ties together. And um, right. I came to that conclusion very late in the process of my second book when my friend Neil Strauss was like, you keep thinking of this as a series of articles. It's one yeah. long article. And I was like, oh. And that requires blending story and moving oh, story yeah. in a different way. And yeah. I was like, I started to figure that out a little bit in this, but I would have needed, I'm always begging my book editors for more time mm. and, and more, more, and they don't have time for it. They don't have time to read like my 28th draft. Right. Yeah. I was told I did more drafts on man-made than anything my editor ever had to deal with. Cause I just mm -hmm. kept figuring stuff out. Like it's new to me. Yeah. I, I'm not that much of a pain in the ass with articles. I kind of know how to rate a profile or a column, but I was figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out. Right, so I feel sure. like if I write a third book, I can mm. get a little closer to telling a story. What's that going to be? Do we know yet or no? I have this vague idea. Okay. I haven't even written, written the proposal that's, that's of, right. of writing about um, trying to find the right cult for me personally to mm. join. Okay. Huh. Um, that's and that's not, that's not for masculinity reasons. That's for no. your own sense of uh, identity, maybe? A combination of community and self-improvement. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So then when you're, you're doing that and you know, you're writing, um, do you feel like, how do you feel like, uh, the time experience was cause time feel it's a big conglomerate, right? Really? I mean, do you feel like you have, did you have the autonomy to really speak your mind? And like, did you, uh, feel like you were part of a machine or do you feel like you were an independent voice that just happened to be attached or affiliated in some sense with like a conglomerate at the time is. I feel like we're having a discussion in 1995. Like, is like it? this couldn't be less relevant anymore. This um, is, uh, yeah, this is, I think it's historically, relevant. Historically. Right? Yeah. Um, it's not a conglomerate anymore. I'll tell you that. Um, oh. but at the wait, time, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? It's, it's, it's split. It, no, it's just not very big or relevant. Oh, Mark okay. Benny, Mark Benioff owns it now. Oh yeah. Salesforce, right? I remember Salesforce that guy just, yeah. I don't even know if he looks at it, but he owns it. Oh. I, um, I'm sure he does, but um, yeah, at least I'm sure he has. Issue, personally, your issue. Yeah. So 
I had, but those questions were very much alive in my mind in 1997 mm-hmm. when I was offered okay. the job. I was 26 years old. I was wow. working at Time Out New York and I loved it there. Yeah. And I remember thinking they're going to make me write really boring. Yeah. If I take this job, I have to write boring articles in a boring mm-hmm. voice. But I'll get to write a book. Okay. And I'll, I'll be paid in money instead of just food. And that's yeah. and so I was like trying to debate whether to do that or not. And the editor, when I got there, so I took the job. And the editor, Walter Isaacson, kept saying to me, we hired you to write like you write. If we yeah. wanted someone to write like Time Magazine, I could have hired a bunch of people who already write like Time Magazine. Right. But I still didn't believe him. So I think my third article, mm-hmm. Chelsea Clinton was going to Stanford. Yeah. And they sent me there to write about it. So mm. I was 3,000 miles from the New York office. And there was nothing. The Clintons weren't letting anybody, anyone near Chelsea. So I had to figure out some other way yeah. to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And so my first paragraph was about my parents dropping. Well, I took a flight, but my parents sending me off to college, to Stanford. Yeah. Okay. And it was first person, which at the time, Time Magazine didn't do. Mm. And I wouldn't have had the guts to send it if I was in the office, but I was like dialing up my modem on AOL from 3,000 miles away. <laughs> yeah. And so I wrote two. I wrote a real lead in third person and then this first person one. And I sent the first person one Ooh. and waited for a reaction. Yeah. And they ran it. Nice. And that's when I started to believe them. I was like, oh, this was definitely the job to take and they're going to let me do what I want. And and yeah. And they really did. To the extent at which the pushback... It was like being a teacher's pet. Walter Isaacson let me do whatever I want. Yeah. The editors right below him felt nervous about holding me back because mm-hmm. it might come back to him because he and right. I were talking a lot. Yeah. But the other, but there was a, a set of writers who definitely, especially in the bureaus, and I was taking a page that could have been used for the Bosnian War and instead writing about like, why I don't like body hair. And that, that was pissing people off. These were mm-hmm. serious journalists, and I was like sure. running their magazine. Yeah. So that's the pushback came not from the corporate level at all, occasionally, but 98% of the time, the pushback was coming back from my more serious journalist brethren. So you kind of you came in there, they got the idea that you were trying to what, shake things up a little bit, and they kind of got trepidatious about that. Or, or I maybe... was just a dumb punk, you know, yeah. Yeah. who was like, amused by his own genitalia like like, yeah. let, like a dog into the into the right you know. that cl- that makes sense that clears yeah. it up right so Are, what about uh how was the oscars experience because you wrote on that too right i mean i think you wrote the year that there was you that was the in, yeah and that was the indian invasion year that was the slumdog year i think they swept everything so uh right was that the slumdog year i think yep, so yep, that's yeah. right that was the slumdog year so how was that how does that compare to the time experience do you feel like you could do what you wanted or was it more collaborative maybe the oscars yeah. are a thrown together amateur group of people who i cannot believe are allowed to run <laughs> the most watched entertainment show of yeah. the year it's mm. crazy so like yeah. six weeks i forgot the exact number before the oscars are going to air Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed they picked the host like a couple months before? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. There must be a reason for that. I don't know what it is, doll. But then, like, so six weeks before, if it's like Kimmel, great. Yeah. He's got a staff of writers. He just grabs those writers, gives them a tiny bit extra. Yeah. And it's like, we're going to be working on the Oscars after. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
and 90 percent of the time it's like a kimmel type character or like ellen degeneres or, or somebody Fowler, or chris rock yeah. yeah chris rock who already is working with a bunch of writers on his special sure. and knows a bunch of writers yeah this year was hugh jackman mm-hmm. right who's an he's actor got, he's got an actor he doesn't have a staff yeah. of writers at his disposal so yeah. he's got some like 20 something year old producer guy who used to be his assistant mm-hmm. who's now okay. his producer who mm-hmm. like doesn't know any writers either so he calls four people dan Harmon, who yet had oh, yet yeah. to make community. community yeah he was just thinking fox was pitching to him that he should make yeah. the show community dan who's like living in like a studio apartment somewhere his mm-hmm. ex-writer rob who they haven't talked in years mm-hmm. hires them both ben schwartz who isn't an oh, actor yeah. yet really yeah and me right so we have like a week and a half or yeah. something to mm-hmm. sit in in we fly out to new york because that's where hugh jackman is we stay at the are we staying at the mandarin i think i had an apartment there still my okay. apartment staying at the mm-hmm. mandarin Orient, oriental hotel in a conference room there yeah and we're just like supposed to write the oscars in like a few weeks and okay. they, remember they have to build sets yeah. They have to do dance numbers, was, all of that. Dance numbers, choreography is crazy. Yeah. It was yeah. so thrown together. It was insane. So it sounds like a good experience, right? I mean, at least you got Well, the... Hugh Jackman's the best boss I've ever had. <laughs> really? He is a great human being. Yeah. Yeah. He looks really um, put together. Yeah. I like that guy. He's just, he has a sense of like, he's too excited about everything. So the problem mm-hmm. was he liked every, everything everyone came up with. Oh, he's, okay. he's totally positive. Yeah. He's um got an amazing amount of energy, obviously. And he's got this incredible sense of honor. Like at some point, Christian Bale, while we were writing, was caught on tape screaming at Oh yeah. That burst that? thing. Yeah. So we were like, oh, we're gonna write that into the show. Mm. And Hugh's like, um, well Don't hit, it, hit a guy when he's down, right? Yeah. Well, and Christian and I did the prestige together. Oh. So like making fun of him is gonna be a little hard. We're like, no problem, we won't do it. He's like, hold on. Let me call Christian. I was like, what? And so he sure. like dials Christian Bale while we're sitting there and was like, hey, is it cool if we do this? Wow. And Christian Bale is not cool with it. And he, Hugh Jackman's really nice about it. He gets off the phone. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, Christian's, we're like, yeah, we get it. It's cool. Like, I can't yeah. believe you just did that. Like, that yeah. sense of honor like taught me a lot. It was like, right. If I'm going to go do something to someone, just call them. Like, yeah. get to their publicist if you have to, but just get to them. So there you go. It changed the it changed your whole perception of it. That's it a good thing. I think it's a positive experience. Well, when, oh, yeah. when did you end up? Because you there was a period of time where you were always on uh, VH1. Yeah. Like you were always you were one of those guys. Yeah. That would come on those shows like I Love the Eighties, which made me talk huge about... in Vegas for some reason. Oh, really? Around that time, like if I were in Vegas, it was like I was famous. Like I couldn't walk oh, wow. into a room without someone walking up to me for okay. that brief period of time. Only in Vegas. Yeah. Well, there's, let's not diminish that. I mean, that's still a big deal, that was right? That's great. That's so great. then how was that? How was that? Did you like that? Did you like doing that stuff? I mean, I guess for that, it seems like, were you able to say what you wanted or was it kind of like, I guess the initial experience on some of those new shows, like when they kind of told you what to do, did you feel like you had autonomy there? Why did you, what did, what, how did you end up doing that, by the way? I just interrupted you. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, so I was doing, you know, as a Time Magazine writer at the time, you would go on TV a lot. Usually, obviously, like yeah. CNN or something. Sure. But I I had a secret second job for a while mm. in the VH1 offices. I created a show called, an animated show scripted called Hey Joel. 
mm-hmm. and which was so bad it only aired in South Africa and Canada. But it was okay. supposed to be on VH1. And yeah. um, so I had an office at VH1 that I would run to between my office at the time. I was getting, I was working mm. two jobs. Yeah. And kind of being quiet about it and running back and forth. And that, so I guess I was in the VH1 offices and working uh-huh. for VH1. Yeah. And they asked me to do this thing. I love the 80s, which seemed like, you know, just like going on CNN or something. So yeah. I don't know. I went down there. The whole thing took about as long as this podcast to mm-hmm. do. And I would just sit there and they would like throw a koosh ball at you and be like, koosh balls. And you'd be like, oh, I remember koosh balls. And there, there wasn't <laughs> much to it. There wasn't, um, you know. What you is just, that, man? Koosh um, ball. Koosh ball? What is I don't that? Know. Was that maybe in the 90s? Rosie oh. O'Donnell was obsessed with them. They were a little, oh, um, that narrows it. They were basically rubber band balls. And for okay. some reason, they had a moment. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So they would, and you know, so I became kind of a pop, especially on E. Oh, yeah. I became a pop. So, okay. I was at Time Magazine. Mm-hmm. And the only place at that time where I could write with a lot of voice and be like a dumb guy who mm-hmm. made jokes. Yeah was writing about arts like doing profiles of celebrities yeah because i mean that's the least important part of time magazine they weren't gonna let me profile the president i was gonna profile you know some actor yeah so but i didn't really know or care about actors very much Mm -hmm. and then i went on e and i still didn't i really didn't know about gossip or celebrities yeah yeah and the first time i think i was filling in on the there's a page in Time Magazine called the People page that is how mm-hmm. People Magazine was launched. Right. Mm. And so I had oh. to fill in. Yeah. And so I had to fill in for the the editor was having a baby who wrote that page. So I wrote that page for a while. And then she also did this segment on E. And they brought me in to do that. And I did it. And they were like, they called the editor, like, never, we can't ever have him on again. He's awful on television. He oh, doesn't no. know anything. And, and so... But then I did the VH1 thing and E would have me on to talk yeah. about, I don't know, whatever the equivalent of the, maybe it was the Kardashians, like the equivalent mm-hmm. of that. But I didn't yeah. know anything. So they would yeah. have to feed me the information. And then gotcha. like a joke machine, I would yeah. re-spit it out as a joke. So they would tell me some fact and I would turn it into a joke. You know, I'm sure only 5% of them were funny and they would use <laughs> half those. But I was just there for a while, just cranking yeah. out jokes. Yeah. And, but then everyone who watched it figured I knew something about celebrities. Oh. And in fact, E itself would get confused because mm. they weren't in they weren't in the room with me with that producer. So mm-hmm. then they would bring me on to like stand with their hosts, like Billy Bush and Oh yeah, Brancic, yeah. yeah, on the red carpet during the Oscars or looking down at the red carpet and comment on the what's going on. And oh, they would wow. say to me like, "Do you think this movie is going to win or this movie?" And I'd be like, "I don't know. I didn't see any of them." And they would <laughs> laugh like I was making a joke, and I was like, "I don't know yeah. who these people are." Like it yeah. kept. Um, so I did that for it just in pure, I did that for years and just complete ignorance. Nice, man. All right. So then I guess as we wrap up, uh, story of the week, I like it a lot. I really like your show. I think it's interesting and really Thank cutting. You. Um, but you're it's always a podcast. Cutting. Yeah. yeah. Like this. It is. A, that's it what, is that's very what people similar. do now. It's based on the assumption that no one reads anymore. Oh, is that true? I yeah, still, so I read your books. I read, I guess maybe. You are maybe it. Not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the only one. It's nice of you. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, so the, the podcast is we take these long magazine articles that people spent months reporting and writing, and we get the writer on to tell us the story because yeah. we know you're not going to read it. So, you know, New Yorker, the Atlantic, the Atlantic Wired, we get um, 
these really incredible, yeah, not news. So it won't be about polit- you know, it won't be about the president. It's going to be about mm-hmm. some some off the news story that we think is incredible. And uh, and people come on and they do this amazing job of telling us their story. And I just sit there and listen. It's really easy. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I think the last one you did was about plastic, right? So it's oh very- yeah, my friend AJ Jacobs came on. He had done a New York Times article where he he was part of the stunt journalism society that I referenced oh, earlier. Okay. And he was asked by the New York Times to try and spend the first they asked him for a month, but then he whittled it down to a day without plastic and he attempted mm. it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's no, I I really like it. I again, but what's interesting is that in your show description, you say journalist, but it's in quotes. I mean, why do you do that? You're a journalist. <laughs> I did not know that. Wait, if I go on like Apple Podcasts. find it. Oh yeah, I'm not lying. That's I just very saw funny. It. Last, last thing. I, I, was, I wish uh, I was responsible for that. Maybe I was. I don't remember. I like you were that. definitely responsible. We know you were, okay. we all know you were responsible. Right, um, yeah. How was, uh, just, I guess, last thing you, because I, I think when I, I remember that you interviewed um, DiCaprio, right? Like a while ago. Do you I remember, remember that? that? You're too young. This Dude, I, beach I remember out. that. I remember that. Do you how have old are you? Uh, 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, how old were you when the beach came out? The beach, that was very early on. I think that was like early 2000s, right? That Maybe was probably, uh, I think so. I was, uh, I was seven. Yeah. So you do not remember this? No, I remember it. I used to, I always watched, I like those early DiCaprio Were you a Time movies, Magazine like, subscriber? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't think I looked, I don't think I knew it. I don't think it was at the time. I think it was okay. a little bit afterwards, probably a That's few years it. later. Cause I remember watching like Love and Basketball, like those earlier DiCaprio movies, uh, This Boy's Life or whatever. How was, but how was that experience? I mean, did you like it? Did you get along? Was it a good time? I don't know. It was awful. Mm. Oh um, yeah. 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 He was very protective about mm. revealing anything about himself. Yeah. And in fact, he, he never had done like a big profile and he had said no, but then they really, he really cared about the beach and wanted to promote it. Yeah. So he was, he was very Hamlet. He, he, oh. he felt like revealing too much about his personality. Every time he revealed something about his personality, it was something people knew about him and brought to a movie. Okay. So that his performance would be less fresh. And, uh, yeah. Which I think is correct. And so it was hard to get him to talk when I found, I finally got him to talk. And then he was like, I was just telling him about frustration. And he was like, oh, no journalist has ever admitted to me that they want my, like, help or want to include me in the process. Mm, okay. So then he gave me, like, all his diaries about the environment that he kept when he was in Thailand for the beach. Okay. And so I wrote a pretty – I wrote an article about him and the environment. And then my editor, Walter Eisen, was like, uh, we don't send the young journalist to L.A. to, the, you know, the Chateau Marmont to hang out with Leonardo DiCaprio to write about the issues of the yeah. planet. Like, mm-hmm. write something fun. Okay. So I rewrote it. Mm-hmm. and he felt really tricked. Like, oh. it's the Hugh Jackman lesson. I should have called him and told him that things had changed, and I had to do this. I did mm. not. I didn't know I could call Leonardo DiCaprio. But I yeah. should have thought I can call his publicist or something. Yeah. And um, and he was really, really, um, or he didn't trust the press, felt like he'd been tricked. Mm-hmm. And I, I only know this, well, from the calls from his publicist, but I also know this from him talking to many people over the years who ever mm-hmm. mentioned Time Magazine about what an asshole I am. So, oh. in fact, I was at an open house on my street. And I didn't notice it, but my wife was like, no, who's in this room? I was like, no. She's like, DiCaprio. And I was like, oh, oh maybe no. I should leave. Yeah, because I'm uh, conflict diverse. You so, didn't, yeah, you didn't approach? Me. Okay. You could no. have, I mean, you could have buried the hatchet at this point, right? I would love to. Oh. I would love to, yeah. 
Well, maybe we should. Well, let's hope that Leo listens to this and maybe you can have a little, you know, uh, burying the hatchet ceremony. Yeah, well, I, I think he's subtle. 100% right in the conflict. So it's so okay. Um, I just apologize. That's that's very big of you. All right. Well, this yeah. was uh, this was fun. I'm glad we brought it down to the environment because, again, Earth Day is coming up next weekend. So that's really again, important. What, what year do you think Earth Day uh, started? What year do I started? What year did it start? I think it started. I'm going to guess in the 70s when the that's EPA right. 1970. was very good. Yeah, because that was one that that was the same year. I think the EPA was uh, coming into fruition, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong. And my dad was born in 1940 on that same day. So Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a double birthday, right? It's a good thing. Yeah. Birthday for the environment. And all right. Well, this was a lot of fun. I, I enjoy this. Thanks for thanks for coming on and uh yeah, talking about these things because they're fun to talk about and interesting. You, uh it was great. And uh what a voice you have. Can we do people oh, acknowledge this you. all the time? What a great no, voice. They don't acknowledge it, but it's nice to be acknowledged. I like being acknowledged. All right. Um, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge you too, Joel. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you very much. Favorite.